Alright folks, I'm in my car. I just, I'm now leaving, oh my goodness, okay. I'm now leaving a friend's house. Uh, it was my friend Janie Mary. She is running a Kickstarter for her children's book, uh, Ready, Set, Sloth. Uh, I highly recommend you check it out at least. Uh, you just go to Kickstarter and look up Ready, Set, Sloth. It's a kid's book about sloth who learns about self-acceptance and just believing who you are and just really accepting who you are. Very good message for the kids. Uh, you know, Janie is a good personal friend of mine and I have seen the book develop before my very eyes. So it's a very exciting opportunity for her. She's less than a thousand dollars away. And what I was doing tonight was I was recording a special commentary track because we also, if you go on Kickstarter and you look at the preview video, you'll see a familiar mug there that, of my own, right? And yeah, we just spent the whole day that day just recording and getting that video done. And, and uh, recently on my Facebook page, Gary Medina, author, writer, uh, I posted a commentary track uh, hosted by Melissa Ike. <laughs> wow, this is a lot of endorsements. Melissa Ike, who is the host of Making Your Impact, another podcast. Uh, it's all about finding your purpose in life and making your impact in the world. Uh, Melissa is also a very good friend. Listen to her podcast as well. But on her page, uh, it was her, Janie, and myself. We were, t we were running commentary on the video we recorded for her Kickstarter. Check it out. That's what I was doing tonight. But now I'm on my way home. I literally hopped in my car after work and just drove over there. And the funny thing was, it was supposed to be all online. I don't know what happened as far as communication goes. Like, I just assumed that it was we were all going to meet there. And all of a sudden, I find myself at her at Janie's doorstep. Like, oh my goodness, I'm so embarrassed. But anyway, so yeah, we just concluded that I'm driving home. Uh, from Yukon, Oklahoma to OKC. And now, with all the endorsements and intro out of the way, uh, I'm going to get into the nitty-gritty of it. The reason why you clicked on this podcast to begin with, if you're a writer out there with a really badass idea, with a really kick-ass idea, this will apply to you. I want to talk about handling the exposition dump. Now... This, this uh, especially applies to us fantasy and sci-fi writers. Uh, whenever we have a really badass concept, a really cool, like, really cool idea for a book or a story, we, the thing, we, the trouble we run into the most is coming up with a way to lay down the rules, lay down the groundwork as to how things work in the world that's exposition the problem with that is you don't want to just dump it on a person uh, dump it on your reader right away from the get because without you know emotional pacing without character building without world building you're just dumping information on a reader and not a lot of readers want to read that unless it's, unless it's like hard sci-fi where you get into the technical nitty-gritty some people enjoy like exposition dumps uh, I consider myself one of the majorities of people who does not, not a big fan of it. So we're going to talk about handling the exposition dump. Now, first off, just to get the formalities out of the way, what is an ex what is exposition? As stated before, exposition is information 
important to know in order to understand the story. Uh, it applies to a lot of different genres, but I'm kind of focusing on sci-fi and fantasy because that's where a lot of the cool ideas come from, uh, especially when telling a story. So exposition is information which you need to know. That is in regards to magic systems, science systems, the way the world works. Um, you know, it could be how the economy of a town works, what the psychology of the people are, what their goals are, uh, maybe what what's the atmosphere like, both like literally like what what is the breathing air like or politically socially all that good stuff that's all exposition and if you do and if you handle the exposition dump correctly it'll weave into the narrative and people will actually enjoy the bits and lore you hand out like if you do it right people will take your exposition exposition dump like like treats like they want to know more so that's why you got to do it correctly, and that's why you got to do it right. So we ha we know what exposition is now. Some of the common mistakes that a lot of people make. Uh, an example I'm going to use, and <laughs> another shout out. This is shouting out my friend uh, Natalie Griffin. You can find her on Facebook, Natalie Griffin, author. Uh, you can find her anywhere on social media as well. She is also an author and a writer. And there's some stuff going on. Epic paintball. Sorry, I'm driving through Yukon. One of the... One thing that she brought up to me... We were... I think we were having lunch. And she mentioned... We were talking about anime. You know, just nerding out, geeking out. And she brought up Bleach. And I have a really weird relationship with Bleach. You know, in my time, back when it was the hottest thing... There was a big three, right? You had One Piece, Naruto, and Bleach. Those were the big three of, like, the mid-2000s, the mid you know? They were the hottest shit. And I decided to go with Bleach, like, because, you know, you had your loyalty. Like, which show are you loyal to? You know, I had a buddy who was loyal to Naruto. I had another buddy who was loyal to One Piece. I was loyal to, to Bleach. It is a very complicated relationship to be in with Bleach, because on the one hand, the concept, the art style, and the fights are so cool that you, you absolutely just get absorbed in watching it. The con, however, is how they handle exposition, or how it handles exposition, the show. They make a point of having entire episodes where they just dump exposition on you and just, yeah, they just dump it on you. And that slows it right down. What's worse, what's worse, is they would have these episodes in the middle of fights. Like, there are major fights going on between two badasses. They're duking it out. You got killer animation. It's looking real awesome. They have badass music in the background. Then the next episode, it's filler. It's exposition dump. It's not filler, because it's important information you need to know. But it's handled wrong. It's just dumped on you in the wrong place. So that's an example of what you should not do. Like, even in the middle of a fight, like, the main antagonist talks about how his special stone, I can never pronounce it, you know, it, it pretty much hypnotizes everyone around him to believe the reality he wants to, them to believe, with, to believe in. That's badass. Problem is, he spends, like, an entire three-minute monologue explaining how it works and whatnot. 
doesn't matter if you have nice words about it. If you're just going to dump information on me like that, I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to watch. I'm going to skip forward. So now we, we have an example of what not to do. Okay. How about, like, let's go to an example of some of a show or series that does it right. So I've recently been watching, I've been keeping up with a show called The Boys. Uh, for those of you who haven't watched it, it's available on Amazon Prime. I'm not sponsored by them, but hey, you know, putting the feelers out. <laughs> anyway, that show handles exposition in the coolest way. Uh, the exposition being how the world is you know, as a result of superheroes being real. And it's so spot on to what we would do, you know, in our world, if they were real. You know, it takes into account that capitalism would take over and it would uh, co-opt, you know, the image of superheroes into every day. It weaves it in. Like, small details. Like, uh, there's an episode where where Billy Butcher gets beaten up at a club because he's trying to work out his own issues and whatnot. And he goes to the store and he goes to a convenience store, actually, like a 7-Eleven type of store. And all the products there, their mascot are the different superheroes that are represented by the company. That's a small little touch. It's an everyday thing that not a lot of people think about. But yeah, if superheroes existed and they were the modern myth, if they were like our Greek gods of the 21st century, they would be plastered everywhere, especially if it's sold. Hell, we have, you know, superhero movies, and we have, like, freaking, like, fruit snacks with Spider-Man's face on it, you know? Now, it may have taken it to an extreme degree, but again, superheroes in the real world is kind of an extreme idea, you know, if it actually happened. And when it comes to the plot details... So I'm not going to spoil anything. I feel like you should watch the show. But they do a beautiful job. A beautiful job. And I might have to do a whole episode on just the boys alone. Because it's so good. A beautiful job of seeding. Now seeding is going to be one of the techniques I'm going to cover in this episode. In which they plant little like subtle hints as to what's going to develop. And then it pays off at the end. Seeding is important because it grows into an idea... And you get to, it bears the fruit of your labor. And whenever you do it right, and it grows perfectly, it's an amazing thing. So, enough of me blabbering. You got an example of what's done well. Now, let's go on to how you're going to do it. And we might as well go on the first thing that I talked about, seeding. Seeding is a technique, as a writing technique, where... You put in small details or bits of information that doesn't mean anything in the context of the present moment, but will gain context as the story continues, and it pays off at the end. Now, for me personally, this is just how I write. I dedicate every sentence in the service of either continuing the story or fleshing out the characters. Uh, I try to have no superfluous sentences as much as possible, which is why it takes me a long time to edit. Like, I literally have to debate every single sentence I write as to whether it's important to the story or not. Or if it's important to the characters who are going to change in the story. Because for me, my personal way of writing, my personal philosophy of writing, 
everything has to flow has to flow everything has to move everything has to serve a purpose so for me i have no wasted sentences every sentence matters because it's always going to give a piece of information or it's going to flesh out something that's going to uh, come up later on so i'm a big believer in seeding now you can make the argument that not every sentence has to matter but i'm i'm not writing a fiction piece like the great american novel or whatever which okay so this is a whole conversation i'm just gonna make it really quick if you ever read some of the all-time greats there's gonna be sentences sentences in there when when you really think about it, it doesn't really belong in the narrative overall but i feel like it's kind of commenting on the time of that they're written just kind of the ideas that they're written uh, kind of the thinking of the author is just a way for them to get pretty words in and to most of us who especially want to write really good stuff we're like get rid of that it's useless but I'm coming around saying that it's not really that useless at all again it it gives context to what the author is thinking as well as the kind of society and time that they live in it just gives more context to the story even though it doesn't advance the plot nor does it flesh out any characters you can make the argument that it just kind of fleshes out kind of the meta game of their writing you know it's just for me personally i probably wouldn't use any superfluous sentences myself that's just a personal preference on my part uh but seeding is where you add in small little details that doesn't matter at the time at the context of the present moment but you hang on to those and this is why it takes a long time for me to write because i hold on to as many cards as i can and let them grow and you know eventually i as we go along keep in mind seeding you're also taking care of it you're also watering it so just because you plant a seed early on doesn't mean you get to abandon it you kind of have to come back and give it water as in highlighting it or not even highlighting it but mentioning it every here now and then but also showing progress like it's progressing as it goes along like we're seeing progress and then it really depends on how you want to do it though like if you want a big surprise twist that's where you get subtle with it that's where you kind of leave little hints here and there maybe some dialogue that kind of indicates that oh so and so is doing this but because in the context of the story it's an innocent little statement it doesn't really mean anything but then when you hit them with the bam when you hit them with the twist then when they go back and read it they're like oh, it was right in front of me the entire time so-and-so was going to betray other so-and-so i should have seen it coming or so-and-so was behind it all along and the two and and the information was always there it's good like it's a little bit of playing with your audience and there's nothing wrong with that you know we all like that um so yeah seating is one way you can also put exposition now i talked about the technique of seating how do you apply that to exposition now again seeding is very much it grows it changes it progresses it gets it, it becomes either better or worse the main idea behind seeding is that things change they have to change how do you do that with exposition well in regards to world building i'm just gonna say it a changing world is a living world 
and a living world is a breathing world. And if a breathing world is an engaging world to read it, to read about, it's, it's an easy thing to care about if it's breathing, if it's living, if it's changing. If your world is static and nothing is changing, despite the story going on around it, I don't think you've written a very interesting world to inhabit and visit. You know, if major plot points aren't changing the composition of the world around, you know, your characters, it's probably not going to be very engaging. And when it comes to seating, uh, in regards to world building, the way the different systems or political systems or like even societal systems are in play, you add in and glimpses a little bits here and there of how things are changing in real time and that makes it really engaging to the reader to, to well to read about frankly so keep that in mind uh hold up folks i'm gonna pause real quick okay sorry about that folks i had to check on something uh i was really just checking the status of uh our interview and whatnot just kind of seeing how that goes but yeah, seating is one way you can handle the exposition up. In regards to characters, uh, as far as abilities, or not even actually, let's 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 shelve that real quick and go like the universe rules, like the the world rules of how your story works, and how you can use seating to kind of uh, handle the exposition dub. Now, obviously, you don't want to have upfront. Here are the rules of how everything works. You don't want that. But it, with seeding, you can show how different characters react to certain changes. Like, for example, say your story. I'm just spitballing here. Uh, in the th in a full moon, people can shoot fire out of their hands. Certain people, of course, if they're born with a mark. This is me spitballing here. Okay, instead of just saying that, you can have it to where as the moon phases come on you can have characters complain about like oh my skin feels itchy or my skin feels hot and whatnot right and then they're like oh you know so and then the main character can make the connection oh so and so has a mark on their back so does so and so isn't that weird and then when the full moon actually hits you know, so maybe you can have some characters not be able to handle as they burst into flames. And that could be the catalyst of your story. The main character can see that, yo, what the hell is going on? Why is this happening? And already we have a bit of exposition, like clearly when there's a full moon, someone's getting lit on fire, but why? And now you just added mystery to your story, your intrigue. We want to know more. Why is this happening to random people with marks on their backs? Where does the marks come from? So you end up, uh, you know, creating more questions and creating more questions creates more intrigue. So you're on the right track whenever you do stuff like this. So literally, we, like me spitballing, I just put seeding in there and it works. It works. It really works. Okay. Uh, hold on, guys. I'm going to pause one more time and I'll be right back. Ooh, apologies. Y'all had a sneezing fit just now. Ooh. Those of you who know me... You already know I have like machine gun-like sneezes. You know, it just blasts and blasts and blasts and blasts. Okay, now here's how you can use seeding uh, in regards to character backstory. I think one of the worst mistakes you can do when it comes to writing 
is introducing your character's backstory on page one, just right dab, like nuts in your face, just in your face, you know? Like, it, it works sometimes just to kind of give context to what's going on. And it really depends on what kind of book you're writing. It depends on your style of writer. Uh, it just depends on like what you prefer to do. But I just think just I don't think you should put your character's backstory in your face just right up front. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of a controversial take because there are a lot of really good fantasy books out there that literally start off with like the main characters life and how they're going like how it's going for them like in the present moment before you know the catalyst of the plot happens and in the middle of like telling the story like in between the weaving a lot of them like a lot of fantasy books like to put in the past like you know their mother was so and so this great warrior of sorts and she passed when she passed away she passed on this this gift this curse of knowledge and whatnot or like maybe there was something more to this main character because his mother was so and so and the father was something greater or something like that you know and that's fine because it kind of teases to where the story is going to go but I feel like when you do that you kind of give away well of where, how, what's, how, where the story is going to go I feel like you give away the structure of the story I feel like you give away the direction of where your story is going to go when you start introducing tropes like that especially when you mention that they have a dead parent immediately like you start to kind of piece together how the story is going to go and there's you already know there's going to be twists abound in this story which to be fair if you're reading a story expect there to be twists if you're enjoying a show expect there to be twists it's just it, it comes with the territory but with that said uh, don't have their backstory up front. Instead, using seeding, they can react to certain things a little differently than everybody else. And immediately, like, you can have other characters acknowledge it, sure. But you really want to get your reader to think about, like, why do they react like that? Why are they, why are they handling this situation like this and not like this? Or, like, what is happening in their mind to where they have to act a certain way to a certain situation you know what i mean so just having little subtle hints and not not even the acting it can also be like certain aspects of their appearance like it, you don't have to go all balls to the wall what exactly it looks like and whatnot oh there's an incident outside uh, i just pulled up into my apartment and security is like really yelling at a guy i don't know what that's about just call the cops i don't know uh, hold on. I'm gonna pause real quick. I'm not gonna. I'm not sneak up on them. I just pulled up to my apartment and I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go inside, mind my own business, of course, and continue on what I was saying. Good morning, everyone. Uh, just woke up. Uh, let's get back into it. So you can also um, have seating when it comes to the clothing of your character that, is, that uh, your character is wearing. In which, like an example of that is uh, Megalobox. Megalobox was a show that came out like in 2018, 2019. 
Uh, it had like really old school looking animations despite you know being rendered in HD. Um, and the main character wears a military jacket. It's never it's never really talked about, but you kind of wonder about his backstory. Like, was he former military or not? The whole show is about boxing with, and like he's a natural boxer, and he boxes against people who uses like machine equipment or whatever. And yeah, like that's just a small detail. Like it also talks, it also tells about like the lore of the world, like what kind of wars went on in that world. Uh, for him to have a jacket like that and it's never explicitly stated his backstory or anything like that he is in the present moment he is in the moment just boxing against like these mechanized people and whatnot so that's one way you can use seating in regards to clothing and <laughs> i apologize for sounding so tired uh it's about almost 7 a.m on a sunday <laughs> right when this episode's supposed to come out uh, just yesterday, I was just really busy, you know, with work and other stuff and whatnot. And I, I could have recorded while doing Postmates, but it's one of those things where, like, I just wanted to be in a pensive mood and whatnot. And then the, the night I was recording, Friday night, when I got back into my apartment and I just sat down, I just collapsed because I was just so tired. So that explains that whole delay. Okay. So we, we mentioned seating, right? And seating is a good way to kind of handle exposition without dumping it on somebody. Uh, what's next is like subtle hints and whatnot. Like, so seating is definitely a really good way to handle exposition without feeling like a dumb, like without just dumping it on people. So in regards to exposition, another way to handle it is, oh yes, is having it show up right and this was this probably a more difficult variant of what to do hold on i'm gonna get up real quick hold on so a much more difficult way to handle uh handle it is by being subtle with the reactions of how different rules work so i kind of mentioned this already but to kind of uh, expand it out a little a little bit more is you can have certain things pop up in which your character reacts to it hold on okay i definitely didn't want to watch you guys hear the toilet running as soon as i stood up i had to go and <laughs> obviously we don't need to hear all that you know this is an unfiltered show but we don't need to be that raw especially this early in the morning but meowing in the background that's wasabi okay so I wanted to correct my point a little bit because I think I already talked about it. But like one thing you could do, this is, this is a risky move. So only do this if like you're really sure about your writing, if you're really sure that you can pull it off. Which honestly, if you believe you can, you can straight up. Because like writing is such a free form, you know, art form that there, there are so many rules, but there are also no rules. It's weird. Anyway, how to do it. So, you can be wrong about the way your world works. Like, that's risky. Because, like, you're pretty much just, like, spending time establishing that things work this way and whatnot. You're building trust with the readers. But, obviously, you don't want to do it with, like, huge, huge and multiple aspects of your world. But, like, you can do it with one aspect of your world. As in, like, something that's plot important but also won't 
destroy the integrity of the story overall, if that makes sense. Like, I wish I had examples in front of me, but, like, it's, uh, like, obviously, like, what I'm thinking is, okay, uh, since I don't have an example, I'll use my great powers of spitballing and making stuff up on the fly. So say, in your book, only certain people can use, like, can use ghost whales, right? They can summon ghost whales out of nowhere. Like, they, they with a wave of the hand, uh, the whale will come from the astral plane and, like, wreak havoc and whatnot. Or, like, just do amazing things because we're spitballing. We're making this up. So... Uh, your main character has a mentor character who has seen the world as it is, like, who knows everything, that, well, not everything, but, like, is pretty sure how things work as far as, like, these ghost spells go, right? It's like, only only those of a certain mark can can use, can, like, ride on these things, can bring them out into the, into the real world. Fantastic. We go with this assumption all along, we meet other characters who are amazed that the main character can do this, we haven't met anybody yet. Uh, you can have this like at the at, uh, right when the B story starts, or right at the midpoint, or just whenever you need a big shakeup, right? So we meet the antagonist. The antagonist is kind of like a, a scientist who sees the potential of issues with these ghost whales, right? So you know he's he's not about it. He's like, yo, we can't let people just keep doing this is not safe it's, it's gonna harm people or whatever he has good reasons or whatnot because like there have been incidents where users of ghost whales have like leveled cities or whatnot so he has a point so you have an antagonist with a point and at some point in the middle of the story like in one of their first or maybe second conflict uh, like first you kind of establish you know like yo i'm the main character i can totally kick your ass because i can summon ghost whales like I will. I wash you easy, bro. He's like, all right, bet. So we continue the story. They meet again. He's like, oh, you want another ass whipping? Like, is that what you want? He's like, all right, main character. You may think so, but check this shit out. And then he summons a ghost whale, and like everyone, like your readers are in for a loop. Even the mentor is speechless. Like, and as long as like your character reacts to it in the appropriate way of the audience, like we're talking the mentor character who knows everything. If he reacts like, yo. What the hell is going on? Like, that creates intrigue for your reader, and that allows you to kind of handle exposition a little bit more. And, like, I know I just described a plot twist, but this this explanation, like, let's say you came up with it in the beginning processes of, you know, telling your story. Like, no, it's not necessarily the people who have a mark. It's people who have a connection to the astral plane. How do you gain that connection? Well, it's kind of a random issue no it's not random it's those who have sold their souls in a past life this entire world is purgatory you know <laughs> like we're already spitballing and making stuff up as we go right and that's how you handle like that kind of twist and whatnot like the mark is just kind of a uh like an aesthetic kind of thing right so that's how you handle it. Now, I know it sounds super risky, like the way I just kind of flipped it on you. Like you had this expectation built up all this all this time, and then I just suddenly flipped it on you. So you really have to be careful how you handle it. I think if I were to seed it out 
see the story out by saying like you know there are instances where you could see that happening like maybe people without a mark were forming manatee like tiny little manatees in their hand or whatever and you know the main character just never saw it uh because it's very much like it's flashlight vision in which your characters and your readers only get like the sweeping of what the flashlight can see. Whereas there's a whole world around them that they're left in the dark in. So that's one way you can handle like exposition dump is just by shining new aspects of it and trying to connect it all together so it doesn't seem like it was thrown together <laughs> like that example just now. But you know, we can still, we can still run it back and fix it and whatnot, you know. I'm just spitballing because I don't have any examples in mind. So yeah, that's one way to handle. That's another way to handle the exposition dump. Uh, and honestly, like it feels, it's it's probably one of the most difficult things to handle because you have these fantastical ideas, but you're still trying to tell a story. Um, it, it's something I call like the trap of concept over, or well, what did I call it? concept over conflict I, I just wanted to have the alliterations of the two c's right so pretty much what i'm saying is a lot of a lot of writers get caught up on the issue of like the concept itself and i'm guilty of this too like in a lot of in some short stories i wrote i had a really cool concept but had no direction of where to go so you have your concept it's super badass but then people, a lot of writers forget about the the conflict we're talking like the the human story behind it that keeps people intrigued that keeps you that okay so the concept keeps people intrigued but the conflict is what keeps them invested like come for this stay for this come for the concept stay for the conflict and a lot of people just kind of forget that and exposition like it eats up especially if done incorrectly can eat up a lot of the runtime and then even you the writer forget about the conflict the human story because really the whole the two you know techniques i just showed you it's really to kind of help you cut through the necessary work of getting of the exposition so you can get to the meat and potatoes of the story we're talking the human element of the story now if you're if you yourself if you believe the concept itself is mean if is meat and potatoes fantastic you know like i said writing is such a free art form that you can really go in a in any direction you want but i'm just going to tell you right now it's going to be hard for people to get invested in like even myself who's very concept heavy who loves playing with ideas and whatnot if there's not really a human element to it like i can only stay for so long like there's this book oh, i forget oh hold on I have it on my shelf. Like, and this is this is by no means any disrespect to the author, anything like that. Um, no disrespect to the author. I know it's here. Ah, here it is. The Drafter by uh, Kim Harrison. You know, New York Times best-selling uh, book and whatnot, but. It's called The Drafter by uh, Kim Harrison. It has a really cool concept in which people can draft and go back in time. I think in Memories and whatnot, it's been a while since I read it. But she spends, I'm going to say it, like the exposition to how everything works is so clunky and so unclear that I kind of dropped the book before it even got, got started. And 
when it comes to the characters and whatnot. <sighs> because she spent so much time like with the exposition and just trying to get that to work, she didn't really spend a lot of time with the characters, so it was very hard to get me invested. And so, like, with I'm sure The Drafter is a great book, and maybe I'll give it another chance in the future, but I just couldn't get into it, just because, like, the handling of the exposition was so clunky and so awkward, and then, like, there was no time to kind of flesh out the characters as well. So it's very important that you get this balance right. Um, and plus, like, during the creation stages of your story, your character's personality and just how they are can be baked in with the exposition. Like, so-and-so is like this because their abilities are like this, which causes them to do this. Are you ready to spitball again? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, your main character practices the Bushido code in, you know, the 31st century. In the, in the super future, they still practice the Bushido code. Because having strict adherence allows them to tap into an energy that can't be used by everybody else in which this person, she can, with a slash of her sword, of her katana, like energy beams come out of the blade and whatnot. Uh, that's kind of the basic bitch format of it. There's more details into it as we go along. But because it, it's such a, such a great power, she has to adhere to like a very strict code of ethics and honor and whatnot. So yeah, we've already baked it in like the exposition, like in the future, some people can tap into like energy manipulation, but you have to be strict about it because it's very dangerous. So that means the main character who knows what she's doing, it has to be super strict with her uh, like meditation and the way her mind works and whatnot. So there you go. You baked in a little bit of the exposition into the character. I think because exposition is so like heavy and so such a big part of the story, I think breaking it out and sprinkling it through the story itself while also building character, it just makes it great for everybody. Like uh, the world is changing. The world is being fleshed out and expanded out towards your characters. And it just makes it enjoyable for the reader, you know, like um, I don't have it on me right now, but it was a... Uh, <sighs> emperor mollusk versus the brain or whatever uh you guys should look it up the author he had a, he had a latino name uh, i actually met him at dfwcon that which was a trip like i loved the book um and i wish i had like the title memorized for so long i'm just looking it up right now on uh there we go emperor mollusk versus the sinister brain by ailey martinez he handles exposition really well and he does it in a really fun way in which like it's within like the character's voice and whatnot like and not necessarily because i think it's a third person if i remember correctly but like it's handled it has such a unique voice that you kind of have fun with the exposition and the exposition is also really interesting so emperor mollusk is pretty much like this super smart advanced life form that has uh taken over the earth already he's like the story starts after the earth has been conquered right and just him going about his day we get exposition we uh, we get understanding of what the world is like the world is peaceful because he pretty much rules it with an iron fist like he's a complete autocrat and like everyone's under his control uh he and he's a squid inside a robot suit pretty much 
like he came he squirmed he conquered and like the, the story right after that is just smarter beings than him I'm, I'm not gonna give away the twist but uh you know smarter beings him are at work there's greater forces at play we get exposition by how the world is in an entertaining way like everything is automated everything is automatic and everything comes to him easy because of this he gets bored and when your main character gets bored that's like opening possibilities for unboring things to happen you know so that book was a lot of fun i really like that uh, I felt like he handled exposition and character writing like really well and sprinkled it throughout the story. Like things started expanding as we went along. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's just something to consider with exposition. Exposition, uh, it doesn't have to be a scary thing or a tedious thing you have to do. You just have to pay. It's all about pacing it right and parsing it throughout the story. Like you don't have to dump everything in one go. You can pick and choose the right times to reveal certain information. Just, you know, I recommend checking out Save the Cat by Jessica Brody. Save the Cat writes a novel by Jessica Brody. Yeah, I've read that book like three or four times. So, and like having watched movies all my life, I kind of know where things are supposed to happen. Sorry, I have the hiccups for whatever reason. Well, yeah. Like, I think the reason why I recommend Save the Cat Writes Novel is because it's going to uh, help you get trained as to the right time when things are supposed to happen. Or at least the right time when it emotionally uh, is relevant. Because you have to consider that as well. You can be a unique writer, but you also have to consider, like, the audience's needs and whatnot. So... And we'll talk more about that. Like, that's a whole episode in itself. Like, managing expectations versus your own creative ideas. So, but I can't really think of anything else for this topic. And, you know, obviously this is going to go up a little later today after I cut it all together. So, <laughs> it was obvious me just been interrupting me this entire episode. I don't know, like when I'm in here and I start talking, he suddenly starts meowing. Like here I am trying to cuddle him and pet him. But as soon as I start talking, that's when he wants to make noise. But uh, if nothing else, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, I hope you have a good luck writing, you know, and I'm open to questions. If you guys ever want to send me any, uh, you can reach me at Gary Medina, OKC at gmail.com. If you have any questions, any ready questions, uh, of that sort, that's Gary Medina, OKC at gmail.com. So thank you guys. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Peace.